0: we got down there, the missionary um, met us and said, now don't be surprised if no one gets the Holy Ghost. Because they never had had anything like this in Haiti. And uh, we said, well, we're going to be surprised and disappointed. But we want you to know that people are going to get the Holy Ghost. I think God loves to show His mighty hand of power in a adverse environment. If you've got all kind of stuff going on in your life, i got good news for you. Those are the kind of situations that our Lord and Savior seeks out. He's just got to have somebody that'll open the door for him so he can work in those situations. And believe because faith is the trigger. So uh, this is what happened and it was just it was just an amazing thing. There was so many miracles, so many reports, so many incredible things happening. And in fact, they've even been featuring some of the videos and pictures and whatnot that been posted on uh, social media. They've been featuring it up at our headquarters in St. Louis. So just a lot of really good things. We feel like that uh, the revival in Haiti will continue. We certainly don't feel like this was just a one-time thing. But uh, we do believe that God's going to continue to bless and uh, just, you know, to allow his church to be a light that shineth in a dark place. Amen. Aren't you glad the Lord gives you his spirit and gives you that power to not just you know, go through life in some sort of a mundane, routine fashion, but to be able to just to change, you know, to be that salt of the earth, that light of the world, and to be able to change the culture that we're in is such a great blessing, a great miracle. Well, everybody should have an outline. Does everybody have an outline? We're going to be talking tonight about something I think that's very important, the three kinds of temptation. Now, we are talking, obviously, about temptation in this series when we're talking about the war within. And it's important to understand why we're discussing these principles. It's almost like you're wanting to learn the strategies of your opponent so that you can be more effective in winning this contest, as it were. And so when we sort of dissect and sort of unpack temptation, we are basically um, trying to understand the strategies of our opponent. You know, the Bible says that we have an opponent. He's uh, an accuser of the brethren. He's a prosecutor, as it were. He's trying to build a case against all of us. And so his strategy is for each of us to be destroyed and for us not to make it to heaven. But when you understand that that is a very uh, organized and concerted effort but you learn the techniques, the strategies you are able to be more effective in this battle. And it is a battle and it is a war. Uh, There's nothing simple about it but it is something that um, God can help us with. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in this world. And so by understanding the temptations uh, that that come at us, we're able to be uh, more effective. You know, it's just like you, I'm sure you've either seen movies or read books about different wars uh, that our country's been in in the past. And one of the uh, one of the really successful aspects uh, that we uh, have been uh, victorious in, uh, in historically through the different wars and whatnot that we've been in as a nation is our ability to decode and to be able to intercept messages that the enemy is sending um, to their uh, generals and whatnot. And uh, because of that if you understand what your opponent is trying to do, you can derail that. And uh, that's the same thing that we're talking about here in the spirit world is, is to try to uh, intercept as it were the strategies and the messages and the the intentions that the enemy um, is intending to do. I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that as Christians, if you and I can have clarity of judgment and to be able to see something for what it is, that we can all be successful in overcoming temptation. The enemy is very, very skilled at causing something to look different than what it really is at disguising. Something that is very deadly can appear to be something very rewarding, something very innocent. And so he's in the business of deceiving and creating distractions that causes us to really not be able to see something for the danger it is or to be focused on something that's really not an issue at all. And so that distraction is something that the enemy is very adept at. And this is something that um, he's going to try to derail all of us. But one of the things that's so crucial for each of us to do is to understand that we don't have to fight these battles by ourselves. that there is a higher power. There's a God that will work on our behalf. I heard a story one time about a little girl that kept going to the door. The devil kept knocking on the door and saying to this little girl, can you come out and play? And she says, well, I don't know. You know, I have to go and ask my father. And of course, the strategy or the analogy there is that she would go ask, you know, the Lord. The Lord would say, no, that's dangerous. Don't, don't go out and play. And so uh, she'd go back door and say to the enemy, I can't go out. My father said, I can't go out and play. And she would shut the door and he would go away. Well, then he would come again, knock on the door. Can you come out and play? And she would say, I'll have to go ask my dad. and So she'd go ask her dad. Her heavenly father would say no. He's going to try to destroy you and hurt you. That's dangerous. You, you should not go. So she would go back and say no. And the door would be shut and the enemy would leave. And he would Come again. Knock on the door. You know. And finally, after three times of doing this, when he came back the fourth time, her father said, let me answer the door. And that's the key. Sometimes we keep trying to deal with it ourselves. Instead of just removing ourselves from it and saying, Lord, I'm going to let you answer the door because I know that's just temptation and there's no reason for me to keep putting myself in that environment of having to say, no, 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 I'm going to just let my heavenly father come down and answer the door. (laughs) Amen. So this is what we want to talk about tonight is the three kinds of temptation. Let's start in 1 John, uh, 1 John chapter 2 and let's read verses 16 and 17. We talked about this a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago, and um, we want to uh, go into a little bit more detail uh, in it tonight. But First John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 really lays out what these three different kinds of temptations are. Now, the reason that we're talking about this is because every temptation, though the enemy will custom make a temptation just for you, every temptation comes out of one of these three categories. Because what you're tempted with may be different than what I'm tempted with. I'm not going to be tempted with alcohol because I've never had alcohol. I'm not going to be tempted with drugs. I've never had a drug. So I'm not going to be tempted to go out and become a heroin addict. But the enemy knows what every one of us can be tempted with. And so temptations may be custom made, but they're going to fall under one of these three categories. Okay? Let's see what these categories are. 1 John 2.16, for all That is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So we know from that passage of scripture that these are the three kinds of temptations. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And it's really easy to kind of confuse the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. What is the distinction between those? Pride of life I think is pretty self-explanatory. But I want to try to give you some things that will really show you these three categories in, in, some, in very specific ways so that you can easily identify it. First of all, the lust of the flesh. and we'll try to work, if you got your outline in front of you, we'll try to work from left to right across the chart, and we'll work our way down the chart going from left to right as we go across. okay? First of all, the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is the temptation to feel, to feel. This is something that is a part of, I think, humanity's struggle on an everyday basis. Well, I feel a certain way. And you've probably heard it. It's it's trumpeted in our culture in a lot of different venues and a lot of different formats. But the, the underlying philosophy behind it is that you have to give in to whatever you feel strongly about which is really ludicrous when you think about it. If you're in the military and you feel like running away AWOL or going the opposite direction than where your, your group is going, you don't just give in to that because you know that's the wrong thing to do, but you may feel to do that. All of your self-preservation nature may be telling you, get out and Dodge, but you keep going forward in the face of danger because you know the right thing to do. But in our culture, it's, it's really sort of created this, this phenomenon that, you know, if you really feel it strongly enough, you've got to go with what you feel. You know, follow your heart, which is crazy because the Bible says your heart is deceitful above all things. You don't want to follow your heart because your heart can get off track. You want to follow your head, and that head only whenever it is under the leading of the spirit. In other words, if you put the word of God in your mind and in your spirit, then you can think right, and if you if you allow your actions to follow your thought process, then you'll have the right actions. The right thinking creates the right actions. And the right thinking can come about as a result of having the word of God in your heart. But now this is something that's really important. You can be in a Bible study like tonight, you can be in a Bible study and a prayer meeting at home, you can be living for God every day, uh, being obedient to the principles of God's word, and still be deceived by your feelings. You can still be deceived by your feelings because as humans, we are emotional beings. And there's a lot of variables that go with that. So you can feel, you can get you can get if you allow your feelings to control you, you can get offended and the enemy will come in and say well you know what, I think the preacher was calling you out during his sermon. He was letting everybody know what you're struggling with. That wasn't very fair of him to do that. And yet the preacher may have no idea what you're struggling with. He's just preaching against sin. I met a guy uh, one time it was, I was teaching a Bible study at, at a fellow's house and his guy that was in his house doing the tile work said, "Um, you pastor First Pentecost Church? I said, yeah. He said, I used to go to that church. I said, how long? He said, like 20 years ago, I used to go to that church. I said, well, where have you been for 20 years? It's time to come home, you know? He said, well, I kind of got offended because you was preaching one time and you you started preaching against smoking and, and I was struggling with smoking and I thought you was telling the whole church that I was smoking. I'm like, I had no idea you were struggling with preaching against sin. But the enemy will make you feel a certain way. Like I didn't like the way she looked at me. She was looking at me and I can tell she's mad and and she doesn't like me and she said something to my kid and oh my goodness, you wouldn't believe folks what all can happen in a body of believers several hundred people. Because the the lust of the flesh is the deception of feelings. So this is something that you and I have to... um, identify it for what it is and say, okay, I feel this way, but yet I know that's not true. That's something that we have to oftentimes um, make ourselves be aligned with biblical principles as opposed to just inclinations or impulses of our flesh. Okay, now, contrast that to the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes is the temptation to have. The temptation to have. Now, there's a verse there in your outline. Let me read that one to you. Proverbs twenty-seven, twenty: Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. The eyes of man are never satisfied. I was talking to a man just uh, recently and he was talking about how um, in his uh, earlier days he had a very successful business and he made a lot of money. He said, you know, the incredible thing about making a lot of money is that you never feel like you have enough. And it's like the more you make, the more you want. And the more you have, the more you want. And he said it's it's never it's never ending. And this is really what the lust of the eyes is, is the temptation to have. I want this, I want that, I want you know, everything is is I want to and, and you can see it's it's in our nature from the get go because, you know, those of you that have raised children You understand how it was from day one. The kid got there, I want that mommy and daddy. I want that, I want that. I I mean, nobody had to tell them to want stuff. They just wanted it. Their eyes saw it, and they wanted to possess it. And so that's that's the lust of the eyes. It's the temptation to have. And we're going to talk about this next week, what the antidote to all this stuff is. But let me just say this, what the antidote is not, the answer is not to... Give in to that because all that does is increase the appetite. You have to practice saying no to what your eyes say that it wants. If you practice saying no, it curbs the appetite. If you give in to it, it grows the appetite. Okay? We'll get into more of that in the future. All right. Pride of life is the temptation to be. All right? The temptation to be, temptation to feel. Is the uh, lust of the flesh, temptation to have, is the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is the temptation to be. I want to be somebody. This is something that I see the enemy attacking, especially young people. You're gonna, you're gonna be somebody. You're gonna be popular. You're gonna be the man. You're gonna be the the center of attention. You're gonna be popular. You're going to be this, you're going to be that. And people sell their soul for this illusion that they're going to be something or somebody. But yet we know what the Bible says. The Bible says the name of the wicked shall rot. The righteous are bold as a lion. Amen. There's something about having a righteous nature or doing what is the right thing to do that causes us to really be what God designed us to be. Amen. That is to be Uh, A vessel of honor and an instrument of praise. Okay, so temptation to feel, lust of the flesh. Uh, Temptation to have, lust of the eyes. Temptation to be is the pride of life. Now, let's drop down to the next category there. Lust of the flesh is the desire to indulge. The desire to indulge. And I'll say this, that is always Lurking just beneath the surface—it's just always kind of there. You may think that it's pushed down and that inclination of your flesh is dormant, but it doesn't take much to stir it up. Um, you can say, "Okay, I'm going to eat right and all of that," and you can eat right. And you can—you can be doing great. This is—I was trying to lose weight before I went to Haiti, and I was on track and I had lost 11 pounds and everything was going great. And I got down there to Haiti, and you're not in control of your food. You can't eat lettuce, you know, and you can't drink the water. So you just think in terms of survival. So if there's a 7-Up, you want something that's bottled, you drink 7-Up. If there's bread or, you know, it seemed like we ate French fries every day. And all of these carbs and and all this stuff, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I've worked to lose this weight, and now I'm going to put it all back on in one week, and I'm like, you know what, I'm in Haiti, I can't worry about it right now, I'm not in control of my diet, I can't figure out, right now, my main focus is just not to get sick and get a parasite. We'll focus on losing weight when we get back. So, once my mind turned to that corner, it's like that appetite said, it's party time. (laughs) I mean, I couldn't eat enough french fries, I was eating 11 o'clock at night, Slim Jims and crackers, and I'm just going at it. And I realized that if you just give in a little bit, it doesn't take much to wake up that beast, and you're off and running again. So I got home and got on the scale and went, uh-oh, now you're going to pay the price. But that's the lust of the flesh. It's, always, it's the desire to indulge, not just to meet the need. Because how many times, and I'm I'm using food, but I I think it's something that's common for all of us. Obviously, uh, addictions of the flesh are in much more egregious areas. But there is a lot of scripture about gluttony. So I I do think this is part of the temptations all of us have to fight and battle. But the thing about the the desire to indulge is it's not just to meet the need. Because how many times do we keep eating even after we're full? We're just now indulging, you know. They'll come around and say, do you want dessert? You're not even hungry anymore. They bring around the actual models, you know, that look like the real thing. Or they, you know, they start telling you and they have a way of saying it all so it's so, you know, attractive. We're going to do this and brownies and we're going to put nuts on it. and Whipped cream and vanilla ice cream and Alamo. And they got all these names and words. And they paint these pictures and you're like, yeah, you know, I think I will. have You know, you're not hungry anymore. You don't need it anymore. Boy, when they tell it to you, you just... It's that desire to indulge, and, 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 it, and it can keep going. So that's part of the, the lust of the flesh. Now, the lust of the eyes is the desire to increase. That's the desire to increase. You, and, and we talked about this before, but it's, it's, uh, it's the old thing about it's never enough. And so it, it, it's the desire to have more. Uh, even though you may have enough, to be able to meet your needs, you're able to support your family, you're able to, but you know what, I want to I wanna be, I, wanna, I, I want life to be a little easier, I want it to be a little smoother, I want to be able to do this, I want to be able to do that, and, and once we get there, then it's a little bit more, and so the temptation is to increase or to add to what we already have. And then, under the pride of life, it's the desire to impress, the desire to impress, so, lust of the flesh, desire to indulge, lust of the eyes, the desire to increase, and then pride of life, the desire to impress. Now, let's drop down one more, and we have tried to line these up, you know, so that it's easy to remember these by starting all this stuff with the first letter. The lust of the flesh is usually passion. The lust of the flesh is usually like a, a fire and it becomes a passion where we become consumed with it. Sex appetite is, is listed down there as an example of that. But it's, um, the lust of the flesh is, is, I want this, I want it right now. And it, it's able if that goes unchecked and unbridled, what happens is it clouds our judgment as to what the long-term consequences of such an act will be. And you see the enemy is successful in getting people to fall for this instant gratification bait all the time. And none of us are immune from it. If we don't stay prayed up. One of the biggest things to help us uh, to deal with this is fasting. Because fasting is a way of telling your flesh it's not going to get everything that it wants. it's, a, it's, it's a, has a natural... Benefits and blessings, but spiritually, it's one of the things that the Lord said. He told his disciples when they said, "How come we prayed uh, for this man's son to be healed and nothing happened?" He said, "Because of your unbelief, these things cometh not but by prayer and fasting." And so, fasting is a way. If you're struggling with any kind of of temptation of the flesh, fasting is a way of uh, winning that battle. It's not you know fast one meal and then you've got it conquered. I mean, it may be an ongoing uh, struggle, but if you fast, I, I think every Christian should have at least one day a week that you're fasting, your family, fasting for your your marriage, your home, because it's just a way of creating a spiritual covering, and so this is part of this, but what, if you look at people in the Bible like Joseph, who was victorious and, and not giving in to temptation when he was, uh, when he was trying to be... Um, Strong, you know, and Potiphar's wife, his boss's wife, was trying to seduce him. One of the things that Joseph, when you see the way that he was able to withstand this temptation, was that the, the Lord was able to give him clarity to see the end result. Here's what I'm convinced of, folks. That if every single person could see the end result of their action they would not fall into the temptation that they fall into. They wouldn't. If you were able to see this action is going to bring about this consequence, we, we wouldn't fall into the stuff. We, we, we would be able to say, there's no way this is not worth all of that. But the, but the enemy clouds all of that. Convinces you know, people they're not going to get caught. Convinces people that it's going to be a, a victimless crime and convinces people that there is no consequences. But when you look at Joseph, he says, I, I can't do this sin against God. He recognized he was in covenant with God, even though he was single. He recognized that he was in covenant with God. And then he said, in, his, in, in the answers that he gave her, he said, you know, my master, your husband, has put me in charge of everything in his home, but not you. He was saying that this is a violation of my relationship with God and my relationship with my employer. He was, he was able to see the, the moral and the ethical violations of such an act. And because of that, he was able to um, refuse her uh, advances. And, and of course, immediately, it looked like he made the wrong decision because he got thrown into jail and she didn't like the rejection and she falsely accused him and he got thrown into jail. Folks, let me tell you something. You never go wrong doing the right thing. Even if immediately it doesn't look like it's going to pay off, it will in the end. You know why? Because God is not mocked. You can't do the right thing without ultimately getting the right result because God would never allow the enemy to be able to use that against him. Well, that person there did the right thing and look what you did. You, You abandoned them. So, you're always going to get the right result even though it may not happen immediately. Okay? So, Being able to see things for what they are is very important. So passion is a way of kind of creating a a smokescreen, as it were. And, And we're not able to see the legitimacy of it. Now, under the lust of the eyes, it's possession. Security avarice, which is, avarice is a big word that basically means extreme greed for wealth or material gain. I mean, we all are trying to get ahead. There's nothing wrong with that. But avarice is a good word to explain extreme greed for wealth or material gain. You know, there's some people that are so possessed with that that they will violate any law, step on any person. I mean, any whatever it takes because they're just so consumed um, with more, 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 more. That's That's the the lust of the eyes. And then the pride of life is position or uh, success ambition to to make a name for ourselves. And again, there's nothing wrong with trying to be successful at whatever our career is, but this this pride of life drives us, you know, it's almost like the people that were building the Tower of Babel, we read about this in Genesis, Nimrod, of course, was one of these one of the leaders of this whole movement. But it was after the flood, and I believe they were trying to build a tower so high that never again would they be destroyed by a flood. Instead of trusting God and his word, the rainbow in the sky that he would never destroy the earth again by water, they were trying to secure their own existence, and they were trying to make a name for themselves. And what happened? All their languages were changed and they couldn't communicate in the and the tower stopped. Well, when you look at that, that, that ambition to make a name for ourselves is based in our desire to control our own destiny. For me to lean on God, for me to trust in God, in our flesh puts us in a vulnerable position. And so the, the, the flesh is trying to convince us, each of us, that, you know what, I know the the Bible says that, you know, that God's our Jehovah Jireh and our provider, but you know, you better, you better plan, you better secure yourself, you better make sure you do this and that, da, 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 because it's a desire to accomplish something for ourselves independent of God's principles and God's word, where if we would follow God's principles and God's word, all the other stuff would take care of themselves. We would have what we need. We would be able to live a life that is fulfilling. And God would preserve our name because the name of the righteous is preserved. So these are things that we try to do independent of God's hand in our life. So the lust of the flesh is passion. The lust of the eyes is possession. Pride of life is position. Now, let me give you some examples here in the next 15 minutes that I have with you. Let me give you some examples in the Word of God of how these things played out in actual uh, temptation scenarios, okay? First of all, let's start with Adam and Eve in uh, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, of course, we know this is where Adam and Eve were tempted in the Garden of Eden uh, by, you know, the, Satan appeared in a serpent, and a snake, and so forth. Now, let's read this, Genesis 3, 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food... And that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Now this is one thing that you'll, I'm just going to throw this in from a pastoral standpoint. People that give in to temptation are always trying to export that to others around them. It's never enough for them just to give in to temptation, but they want to influence people that they're close to to also give in to that same temptation. Because here's something you need to understand: in your heart, in every human body, every human being, there's a we have a we have a moral conscience. We know when we're doing the wrong. And so the way that we in our humanity deal with that guilt or condemnation is to try to get others around us to do the same thing. Because if we do that, we feel less bad about the, our own guilt that we're struggling with. So immediately you see where it wasn't enough that she saw all these things, which is, these, I'm going to run through these, what these three steps are as it relates to lust of flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life. But she then gives it to her husband and she wants him to partake of it because sin, by its very nature, is trying to spread. It's contagious. We'll just say it that way. It's contagious. Within the DNA of sin is a contagious, it's more contagious than, you know, any virus that we can think of in our natural bodies. Sin is the spiritual virus. It's very, very contagious. That's why you have to be around the right people. You've got to, That's why the Bible says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. I've heard people say, well, I don't have to go to church. I can stay home and watch television blah, 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 and see the preacher going. Blah, blah, blah. You don't understand. You, You've got to put yourself in the right environment over and over again so that you're you can draw strength from one another and not put yourself in a negative environment where you're going to be negatively affected. So we all need each other. We need God and we need one another. So the very first thing was she said this. Let's dissect this verse for just a moment. She said that the tree was good for food. You see that? So under lust of the flesh, I want you to write in there, the tree was good for food. That's the lust of the flesh. She saw that the tree was good for food. That's that desire to indulge. And then she says, and that it was pleasant to the eyes. You see that? That's the lust of the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. You see that? The enemy told her that she would be as God. And that's the pride of life. So within that one verse, you see that the tree was good for food. That it was pleasant to the eyes. And that you shall be as God. And it's always couched in a lie. Because remember I told you the way that temptation is sold is through deception. Temptation would not be effective if if the enemy couldn't sell it. But the way he's able to sell it is through deception. So there's always a lie. Every temptation has within it a lie. The lie here was that God doesn't want you to partake of this tree because he knows that if you do, you're going to be as smart as he is. He's really trying to keep you away from it. If you partake of it, you'll be as wise as God. And so, all three, the enemy hit on all three of those. And it's the same game plan. The enemy still does the same stuff. Now, it may not be a, you know, an apple and a tree and a garden and all that. But the the principles are still the same. Because guess what? We're dealing with the same flesh. We're still dealing with the same humanity. All right, So, that was, uh, that was the temptation of Adam and Eve. Now let's look at the temptation of Jesus, Mark, or Matthew chapter four and verse three, Matthew chapter four and verse three. Now you understand this that Jesus was coming to the end of this 40-day fast. He was in the wilderness. This is another thing you've got to understand about how your opponent works. He's always going to come at you when you're weakest. After you've suffered a loss, you're dealing with something physically in your body, you're dealing with a sickness or a disease, you're dealing with a loss of a relationship, you're dealing with a wounded spirit, the enemy always looks for an opportunity to get a foothold. Even with Jesus, God manifests in the flesh. He knew after this 40 days that he was weak in the humanity. We know that God Jesus was was God and man. But as the son of God, we understand that he's overshadowed by the the Holy Ghost so he had this spiritual uh, God as it were nature. But his, his mother was Mary and he was a man also. The Bible says he was tempted in all points like as us, yet without sin. So, he was the son of God and the son of man. Spirit and flesh. Well, the enemy waited until he was weak in his flesh, because as God, he's not going to become weak. But he knew the only chance that he had, boy, and I see this a lot with young people too, the enemy always tries to knock young people out before they become what God has planned for their life. Because they don't see it. They can't see what God's going to use them and make them to be. They see themselves back here and they don't, it doesn't seem like that big of a loss. But if every young person could see what God is planning to do in their life, they would never fall for all of the junk that the devil throws at them. And here's an example of this. This was really before the ministry of Jesus took off. He had just been baptized in Jordan He'd gone into the wilderness, 40 days of fast. He said, I'm going to derail him right now. He's weak in the flesh. I'm going to get it. Now watch this. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. So he's tempting him with what he knows he's weak. He's hungry. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Verse 5. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, he's he's always creating questions. If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now you notice what the enemy did there? Whenever the Lord responded to the first temptation and said, as it is written, the devil says, I know what's written too. He comes back with what is written. Sometimes the enemy will try to tempt you with a misinterpretation of Scripture. That's why the Bible says you've got to rightly divide the Word of God. So he comes back and says... As it is written, he shall give the angels charge. Jesus saith unto him, and this is the thing you've got. Jesus gives us the pattern right here. He always goes back to what it is written. Every time, and I'll, I'll read this, you'll see it. Jesus saith unto him, It is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I'm staying with it. Verse 8 Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Now that was built on a lie because Satan didn't own all those kingdoms. That's the other thing. He tries to convince you that he can give you something that he doesn't even have. You know, when you look at how drugs destroys people's lives, and I've, I've been in culture, I was in an um, area of Brazil here. I don't know, several weeks, a couple of months ago, whenever it was, where the Bible school was, and we are having a conference there, there was, was just a horrible environment around us. people Kids, guns, gangs, chopping people's heads off. I mean, it was just the most severe environment you can imagine. And very, very hostile, very, very poor slums, hopelessness in, in, in all of those surrounding areas. And there's this Bible school, like right in smack dab in the middle of it all. And uh, the, the missionary uh, lady there was telling me about some of her encounters with some of the people around there. And he, even during our um, conference there, we, we had people that we baptized in a barrel like we did in Vietnam. Some of you remember a number of years ago when we were, were able to baptize people in houses in Vietnam. It was in a barrel, just literally a barrel of water. We did the same thing in Brazil a few weeks ago or a few months ago. And these were gang members that came in. And some of them were just so, their faces, their skin, I mean, it was just, and they begin to share some of their testimonies. And I thought, you know what? The way that drugs totally destroys people, families, cultures, countries. I mean, you, it goes on and on and on. How, how is it that ever, anybody ever takes the bait initially to, to get involved. And of course, obviously, there's gateway drugs and so forth. It doesn't doesn't start out with all the hard stuff that destroys you, but it's a gradual process. The only way that the enemy is able to do that is to couch it all in a lie. That somehow drugs are going to make you happier. Somehow drugs are going to make you fit in. And he creates, every temptation has this. He promises Jesus what he doesn't have himself. And folks, he promises people that what he doesn't have himself. But he tries to convince you that you'll be happy, you'll be fulfilled. And in actuality, it's the exact opposite. So let's look at this as it relates to your, uh, your chart there, three kinds of temptations. The very first temptation that, that Satan uh, did with Jesus was turn these stones into bread knew he was hungry. That's the lust of the flesh. All of these things will I give you. Did you remember seeing that in verse 9? And saith unto him, all these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Okay? That's the lust of the eyes. See all of this? It'll be yours. And then, verse 6 tells you the, what the, where he appealed to his pride. Saith unto him, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up. Lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. He's appealing now to the to the pride of life. Try to get him to say, oh, you know, this way what he does with humans. He tries to convince, you've worked hard. You deserve this. And it's all based upon a lie. Pride of life. Okay? Now, look at the fall of Satan. Isaiah 14. i got three minutes. Isaiah 14 and verse 12. We're going to go really quick. Isaiah 14, 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation on the sides of the north. We understand this, right? As Lucifer, he was in heaven. He was the choir director. You know? He got caught up it with himself. I'll sit also upon the mount of the congregation on the sides of the north. I will ascend on the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee saying is this the man that made the earth to tremble that did shake kingdoms? In other words you're going to end up being scoffed at. Well first of all look at this as it relates to these three types of temptations. This is how how Satan knows to tempt in these three areas. The very same thing he fell for. I will ascend to heaven. That's the lust of the flesh to do. I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne. That's what he said in verse 13. I will exalt my throne. That's to have. I will be like the Most High. Remember at the very beginning we said lust of the flesh is the temptation to feel. Lust of the eye is the temptation to have. Pride of life is the temptation to be. Well, there you see it in the fall of Satan. I will ascend to heaven, that's to do. I will exalt my throne, that's to have. I will be like the Most High, that's to be. So once again, we see that with Adam and Eve. We see it with the temptation of Jesus. We see it with the fall of Satan in Isaiah 14. It was still in these three areas. And then finally, let's conclude with Moses. We read about Moses, Hebrews eleven twenty four. 24. It's pretty interesting. Moses was another one of these... Individuals who, like Joseph, was able to resist the temptations. 11, 24, 25, and 26. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, his peers must have thought he had lost his mind. Here he was raised in Pharaoh's house, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. See how he had clarity? He knew that those pleasures were just for a season. Because of that, he was able to make the right decisions. Verse 26, esteeming or valuing higher the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Think about this. He saw the reproach of Christ to be greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Now that's amazing. That's like we read in the New Testament where it says that Peter and John, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. How did Moses have this kind of revelation? For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. You know what that means? He had respect, he had understanding and knowledge of the consequences of the wrong decisions, that's recompense, and the reward of right decisions. That's how you overcome temptation. You get a biblical perspective rather than just your own human judgment. How was Moses able to figure all of this out? It was because the Lord was helping him. Because in verse 25, it says the world's pleasure. This is three words that I want to give you that I think will really help you to wrap all this up. i got to hurry because I'm over time now. There it is. Put them all right there so you can see it. Lust of the flesh, the world's pleasure. Lust of the eyes, the world's treasure. And then in verse 24, we see the world's measure. Pleasure. Treasure and measure. Isn't that cool? You can remember that. I wish I could say it was all original with me, but it's not. But it must have been with Moses. Because it says, when he was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You see that? He knew what real treasure was. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. And then the world's measure. We see that in 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He would not allow the enemy to hijack his identity. That's how he knew who he was in Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what God's trying to tell all of us now. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're you're the apple of God's eye. He created you in His image. Don't sell your soul for something that cheapens your value. You're something special in Christ. That's not power positive thinking. That's the Word of God. There's something special in Christ. And if you make a mistake and you fall, you get back up again. Next week, we're going to talk about what the antidotes are for these three different areas of temptation. But by simply knowing this, you can understand the strategy of the enemy. And when the enemy throws something in your path, you'll be able to say, I know what that is. That's a trap. And I'm going to let my Heavenly Father answer the door. Why don't we stand to our feet tonight? Isn't God good? What a great God we serve. Amen. The Lord is great and greatly to be praised. And there's something powerful about worshiping God that reminds our flesh that God is higher and greater and bigger. Why don't we do that right now? Lord, I thank you, God, because you understand that in our flesh we are frail. We are human beings. We are subject to make mistake after mistake but God, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. You have given us, Lord, the ability to access the throne of grace and to be able to have your spirit working in us. And Lord, as we exalt you, we not only put that into the atmosphere, but we remind ourselves with our worship of you that we depend upon you. For we know that it's not by might nor by power, but it is by your spirit. In the name of Jesus Give us strength to win the war within. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Do you believe that? Amen. Do you believe the Lord's going to help us to overcome every temptation? Amen. God bless you. What a great church you are. You're dismissed tonight in Jesus' name.